for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, how's it going? Well, I'm with you, so it's going wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's it's like um, so you know, uh, we obviously record these in advance, and we're we're recording this uh, a couple of weeks in advance. I'm saying that because I don't know what the weather is going to be like, but today is absolutely beautiful here, and I'm, and I'm going to a base. Going to a baseball game. So how how <laughs> right? How bad can today be? Right? Like we, we've got a couple of podcast interviews and then go to a baseball game. Life in is the, good in the beautiful city of San Francisco. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the nicest and, stadiums in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Yes. I've been to a number of them, and I love you know the ballpark in San Francisco. Yes. Yes. Now people are talking about San Francisco a lot right now right like they're they're talking about how like you know things are not so great in certain areas i gotta tell you it, it's still just as beautiful there's a lot of areas that are like True. totally safe totally fine i feel fantastic like i feel completely safe just like i did back in like the 90s there right like i walked down a, a couple of streets and i was like oh, let's see maybe maybe not it was fine and i've done a bunch of walking in the city lately which and, and so i totally feel safe however what I don't feel is like I could find an open store. <laughs> like there's so many stores that are shut down. And it's there it's like, are. it's so sad to see these yeah. businesses that have closed, uh, you know, because of all the political issues and, you know, issues that are happening in the city. And also the fact that I'm parking, you know, more in the downtown area and walking through the downtown, there's nobody there. Like I was on BART a couple of weeks ago. There were three people on BART with me. Three. Yeah. It used to be completely crowded where I couldn't get a seat. I could get a seat anywhere. And it's because so many people are doing this remote work. They're not going in. They're not commuting into the city. So now it's causing all of these businesses that used to be open to shut down because they were servicing the people that were coming in for work. And it's just so sad. Like that to me is just, you think about each one of those was an idea, was a, was a, you know, it this was. little baby of somebody that they wanted to get going and now and it's, it was it's flourishing for so many years that's yeah. the thing and until the pandemic nobody saw the financial district of san francisco going down 50 percent as far as how many people were actually working i mean there's, yeah. you know the the skyline of san francisco is absolutely beautiful right with the yeah. transamerica building and you know there's so many mm -hmm. just gorgeous buildings on on the skyline there they're less than 50 percent filled right now and all Jeez. the businesses like you're saying that really depended on all those workers those are the ones that are unfortunately closing it's, it's a you know it's, it's tragedy what's what's happened yeah. in that sense yeah it is well you know we had the pandemic that shut the businesses down and then you think that everything is going to be okay afterwards or return to you know, I'll do the air quotes of, of normal, whatever that was, uh, right. you know, the, the new normal or whatever, but it really, it's not even close anymore. I mean, to, to be a, a, a business owner in a major city or anywhere at this point, resiliency is definitely a topic that is something that's on your mind right now. Yes. And uh, it, it, it's on our mind. So uh, we have uh, Dr. Russell Thackeray uh, joining us today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Talking resiliency with us. Hey guys, yeah, let's talk. 
I'm looking forward to it. I was in San Francisco earlier this year, actually. And, um, oh, really? Were, yeah. What was, was your experience like in San Francisco when you came? Well, I was on a cruise ship, so we came in, stayed overnight, okay. and went off again. But it was um, okay. It was very similar to the times I've been there before. And um, yeah, actually, I found Seattle more depressing. I mean, the big oh, the really? Big, the big stores have been shut down, such like. But um, we did a road trip in southern. Uh, some of the southern U.S. states earlier this year as well, and some of the places like Mobile and New Orleans and places they were really struggling. Just businesses hadn't reopened, and um, yeah. it just shows actually how many businesses were overtrading, how many businesses were trading above the peak, and how many businesses never, uh, you know, encountered a downtime. And it's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because during a downtime is the greatest time to start a business. Because if you can cope in these times, then you can cope in the good times. And we've been on a rising trend for such a long time. I just don't think people had understood that there's, you know, running a business is the joy of it is it goes up as well as down, as they say in financial circles. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you've, you've got to be ready for everything, it seems, as yeah. a business owner. And now there's so many, like with the pandemic, it felt like, what is this? Like, this is so, I remember sitting, uh, leading up to the pandemic, Greg and I sitting in an office together, figuring out, like, what do we do? Yeah, <laughs> like, we're trying to, like, what's next? Like, how do we get through this? What do we do? Can we even be in the same room with each other right now? What What is happening? <laughs> it was yeah. Those meetings yeah. were just so surreal. Yeah, yeah, we had back and were, yeah, and, there were, and you know, you, you've talked on your episode before, a uh, podcast before about mindset and such like, and there are those people who came out of the pandemic storming ahead. They saw mm -hmm. unique opportunities, they saw opportunities they saw for growth, they saw opportunities for pivoting, they started new businesses, they did something different. And a lot of people just sort of, you know, drew up their barricades and just said, well, I'm just going to ride it out. And some people fell apart. And, you know, yeah. that's that's the same as always, really. It's just the percentages were different and the the scale of that. And, of course, I think it flushed out a lot of f f uh, faux entrepreneurs. There's been a sort of, a, mm. um, I think, a, mm. a move, particularly in your world, I think, more than ours, because um, I'm in the UK, I think there's there's this been there's been sort of this almost uh, zeitgeist towards entrepreneurship, and you know everyone has to be an entrepreneur, and you know it's it's we have to be business people rather than just being content to do really really well and get a corporate job, and I think mm -hmm. it's um, I think it's flushed out those people who have been playing at it to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm curious to, to follow up on that a little bit. I've never actually heard that term before. You know, a faux entrepreneur. Like, what do you consider a faux entrepreneur versus somebody that's serious about it? Is it just somebody that will see themselves through the tough times and and keep persevering and not give up? Or tell tell me a little bit more about what's the mindset of a true entrepreneur versus a faux entrepreneur? I, I don't think there's a difference in mindset. I think there's a difference in um, process and structure. And I, I'm always reminded of the old, uh, is it rich dad, dad, poor dad thing of the uh, entrepreneur, uh, your employed person, self-employed person, a business person, and a, an investor. And I've always thought those four levels were, were particularly interesting. And I think a lot of people thought they were running a business when all they really were was self-employed. And what they'd done is they'd exchanged dollars for hours in one direction being employed to dollars for hours in a different direction actually just working for a different group of people in a different sort of way and of course they didn't build any capacity into a business they were just working dollars for hours so effectively they were pretending to be business people but really all they were doing was this the same model as they'd done before with of course even fewer benefits and just a little bit more risk without really net recognizing 
that you have to invest in yourself and your own organization. And I think the idea of having a business is that you have something that's bigger than yourself. And that I think a lot of people see a business as just having some sort of freedom and working to their passion. I'm doing my air quotes now. And um, <laughs> we Brits are very cynical compared to you Americans. So, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we hear these things coming out of America a lot. And, um, you know, we, <laughs> and, uh, we, tend to, we tend to find the passion and enjoyment in what we're doing rather than sort of waiting for it to hit us like a, you know, a shaft of enlightenment. And I think, uh, and, I, and I don't think, and I think that, that mindset's going to change now. You know, a lot of people have made tons of money out of, pand out of the pandemic. Sure. Um, and lots of people mm -hmm. are doing really well at the moment. The delivery business in our world is, is is a business that didn't really exist. Zoom didn't exist, you know, well, this StreamYard did, but, um, you know, the, the whole business model is changing and it's about to change again, much more radically with the onset of AI, VR and AR. And I, and I think actually we're looking back at COVID, the, the lessons are not there, they've not been learned in terms of disruptive change. And what's coming down the track of this is seriously interesting. If you're interested in the process of being in business rather than the the sort of um, the phoness or the stylistic side of it, the and the wandering around shouting, I'm an entrepreneur and here's my Porsche, you know, really getting down <laughs> and dirty about what it's like to run a business because it's tough. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's interesting, but it's tough. There are really scary moments. I mean, there's that thing called cash flow. When you go into the yeah. bank account, you think, wow, you know, whoa, this is an exciting right. moment. <laughs> Will that invoice <laughs> actually arrive? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and right. we've all done that, you know, and we've oh, yeah. been in business and we all sat there thinking we're, you know, 26, not, well, is it 24 hours from Tulsa, but it's also 10, 24 hours from going upside down. And all businesses yeah. go through that. And that's where you learn. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you're, you're, you're giving me flashbacks of, uh, particular times of the year. Like I had the busy seasons uh, where, you know, so my, uh, it was a, it was a bit feast and famine, you know, like there were times where it was just like, so I had to make sure that everything was leveled out so I could get through the, the, the famine to get to the next feast. And yeah. it was just, uh, it was, it was scary sometimes. And you're, you, you, you mentioned, but Russ, you oh, go ahead. The go ahead. The head there. I thought that's a really interesting comment you just made there. I remember talking um, to a consultancy owner of mine, and uh, I was working in a small organization at the time, turning over about 400K. And, um, you know, when we were marketing, we weren't delivering. And when we were delivering, we weren't marketing. Most of the time, we were marketing because we didn't have any revenue. When we had the revenue, we were too busy thinking, how do we deliver it to the revenue? And it was this huge boom and bust thing. And I talked to a friend of mine who was turning over about 2 million. He said, my biggest problem is boom and bust. Whenever we're marketing, we're not delivering. When we're delivering, we're not marketing. And he moved on to right. an organization turning over 70 million. And we just sat in, the, in, the, um, at a, in an airport lounge one day on the, on the way over to, uh, to Dubai. And we said, it's exactly the same. And, and all, all business models are sort of similar in that regard, aren't they? So, so Russ, how yeah. did you cope with it? Uh, you know, what I did was when I had the money, I marketed. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it was like when, when money was coming in, I was like, well, money's not going to, I, I need to turn this into more. I need to turn this into something else. So I was always concerned about, and always thinking about six months from now, more than I was thinking about today. And then once I had enough, you know, income and, and whatnot to now prepare for 12 months from now, how do I prepare for next year? What do I do yeah. with the money that I'm going to make during the next feast like how do i plan that out so i sort of just looked at it more as a challenge of what do i do in the next feast yeah, or the and next I think, famine and, I think and, and just keep so it going smart. from there 
I think that's so smart because there's so many instances, uh, you know, in history of business that companies just kind of rest on their laurels and say, it's always going to be good. There's never going to be, you know, a a black swan type of a situation like a pandemic or an economic crash or any of those types of things. Things are always going to be good. We're always going to be on top. We're always going to be making money. And then when something kind of goes awry, they're not ready for it. And they weren't prepared like you were, Russ. I, I think that's extremely smart. Yeah, I don't know what that was. I, I mean, it almost felt like, like I look at my um, uh, my uh, wife's grandparents, right? And and they were Depression era kids, essentially, right? That, that, that grew up with that. And they always wanted to keep everything. They were always afraid that something was going to go away. Like they were always afraid of like... He had like he he had basically like an Ace Hardware in his garage uh, when he was running an apartment building and running apartment building. Like he would keep everything and buy stuff when it was really cheap, or you know people would give him stuff and and he would you know utilize that. I sort of had that mentality of like, is it always going to uh, be this way? No. So I need to prepare for when it's not this way. However, you know, it, it, it does a bit to you. It takes a bit on, like um, emotionally and, and mentally on you to always be thinking about like, well, this could turn bad. This, this, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person, but I'm, I'm preparing for, for the bad thing. How, like, that's one of those things that I, I, I'm not sure if somebody said, how do you prepare emotionally and mentally to run a business? I don't know if I could completely answer that question russell maybe that's a a question for for you Uh, how how do you prepare emotionally and mentally to run a business Uh, but it's it's really interesting i mean i'm a business psychologist so i've worked uh, in corporate roles i've been ceo i've uh, worked on my own resilience business i've run a very successful resilience podcast i've written books and all those sorts of different things and people don't look at the fundamentals of business very few people understand economics very few people understand statistics and analytics it's really quite interesting and one of the key skills in running any business is, is the business of hedging which is actually putting money aside away from the future and it's all you did russ which which is you hedged and uh, yeah. all the hedging is 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 thinking about what you're going to spend today but the problem is that for lots of people when they get a lot of money in what they do is they they, they spend it rather than investing it and then the difference is what's the ROI that you're going to get from spending any, any money. So what people sometimes do is they'll invest in staff, but they'll invest in people that don't give you an ROI. They'll invest in infrastructure, again, that doesn't improve process. So it doesn't, have, doesn't affect your ROI. It's just, it's just cost. I've just gone to an organization at the moment and uh, to turn it around. And uh, what I've discovered straight away is they've been spending money on IT, the £10,000 um, bill for IT. This is a tiny charity. This is, you know, 10% of their wow. revenue, 10% of their revenue spent on an IT system. Going to IT? IT, information yeah. technology. And and the sunk cost biases, we can't throw it away because we spent all this money on it. We say, hang on a minute, but is it delivering? No. So, well, why throw it away? But we mm-hmm. spent all this money in it. Yeah, but it's not delivering, is it? No. Well, then throw it away. But we spent all this, and you'll get into the circular sunk cost bias. Yeah, that's where just actually bad people, money after, yeah, bad absolutely. money. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. have to be we have to learn to hedge and we have to be ruthless in terms of ROI. You know, how many business owners to get a big payday and rush out and buy a car? I mean, you know, we don't need to buy cars anymore because we're, they're not statusy in that way. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll find people who are buying legacy, huge pieces of uh, IT equipment. Why, why would you have that? Why would you not be buying, you know, nimble <laughs> digital solutions? You know, it's, right. it's, 
it's quite fascinating how business owners on the whole, when you go and sit down with them, and I do as a regular as a coach, and I'll say, why have you made that acquisition? What's the ROI? What's the projected ROI in that spend? And they very rarely have an idea. And of course, once you work it out with them, they're saying, well, why I shouldn't be spending that money, should I? The answer is obvious. Of course you shouldn't. But So what do we spend all this money on? Which will give you the biggest return? Which will allow you to have capacity and therefore allow you to do what Russ was saying, which was to hedge for the future. You know, what do you, how much do you put away? How much do you put behind you? How much do you invest so you can't get your paws on it? I mean, that's one of the mm-hmm. things with business owners. Often we're quite excited about the idea of investing so we don't put money away. We don't put it aside. So, you know, you can put it aside and still invest. And, and you, you know, you can, but you can keep investing in your business. And it's interesting because you grow to such a size where sometimes an organization, it goes through that sigmoid curve that Peter Drucker used to talk about. And you go from being entrepreneurial to being afraid. So mm. your business is about how do I avoid the fear? How do I mitigate the risk rather than thinking how yeah. do I maximize and exploit the opportunities? And once that mindset is set into your business, you're already operating as a suboptimal entrepreneur you're already not thinking how do i bring in the next person to grow my business you're also already thinking about you know something that really doesn't matter at all i mean how many business owners have you met who obsess about their website for goodness sake i mean you know it's <laughs> pathetic yeah. you know in this day and age you know or you'll you'll see them all the time you can always spot the people who are wasting their time because they're on linkedin saying hey i'd just love to say how much i've just got this amazing referral for my client if you were that busy you wouldn't be doing that. You'd actually right. be too busy to do that. And I find I haven't got time to shout and scream about how busy, how wonderful my clients are because I'm too busy working. And um, you know, I know lots of people who are like that. And maybe, and maybe you know, maybe there should be more sizzle as well as the steak. And I get that. But um, but I think this idea of being really savvy about where you put your money is how you you build capacity in your own organization. I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think you you brought up something that also makes a lot of sense is some people are just very fearful. And they're, you know, they're worried about making a mistake that's going to cost them something down the road. And you understanding, you know, personalities and mentalities, are you finding successful business owners have a certain makeup of, you know, what, you know, what they's going on in their heads and their heart, what the bright mix that will help people be or lends itself to be more successful in business? It's it's quite interesting, actually. Um, I'm just completing my third book at the moment. It's all about leadership and this sort of, this sort of way of looking at the world, which is really important. And, uh, you know, looking at facts and rationality rather than thoughts and fe- rather than feelings and opinions and such like. And being grounded in the real world, developing street smarts, um, having having an entrepreneurial mindset, having a good mentor and a good coach actually is really important. And for me, a personality type doesn't come into it. Actually, you can be highly introverted and very successful. And you can be amazingly extroverted and appalling because you're not able to build that self-awareness. You're not able to take advice, not able to take wise counsel and do the numbers and the analytics. Years and years and years ago, I remember reading a book called The BMAT Entrepreneur which talked about how to set up a, a software business. And the advice on that is as true today as it was then. And, um, and, and it's nothing to do with personality and it's all to do with process. And, and I think, I think we've, we think in the modern world, we've got this cult of personality. And I think it's, um, it's part of the modern era 
that actually what matters about what a business is is a set of processes run by people not um, an entrepreneur what a self-employed business is is an entrepreneur just actually selling themselves and their own capabilities are no more than that and I think actually it's one of the things you have to think about when you set your business up is what's the end game? What's the end point? What's your business for? You know, are you doing this for a lifestyle, which is great, or are you doing this because you want a, want a payday or an exit one day? Because the way you set your business up, the way you think about it, the way you process it, the way you invest, it's totally different. And people don't see that difference. And it's a shame because actually that's the difference sometimes for some people between success and failure. So you set up that plan in the beginning. And then you evolve as a person, your needs evolve, uh, how you're looking at the business evolves. Let's say you're going from, okay, I want this to be my business. This is going to be my my job for however long. And this is what I'm going to do. This is my career. And then, you know, at a certain point you decide, well, maybe, maybe I want to do something else. Like in shifting, like, how do you how do you advise people in that shift when they're when they're going from one one goal to another a major goal like that? I guess it depends on the goal. Can you can you unpack it a bit for a bit more? Okay. Me? Well, so actually, I'll I'll use myself as the example. So sure. uh, my my business, I was like, eh, you know what, I could I could run this forever. Like this this could be what I do. I can yeah. retire from this, um, and then. Um, I don't know, a decade into it, <laughs> I was just like, eh, maybe I want to make a change. Maybe I want to do something different. And I sort of had that planted in my mind. And it was sort of this thing of like, well, no, you know, I, I, I set everything up to do this for a long time. I should continue doing it. So maybe that was my mindset for a year. And then after a year, it was hmm. like, okay, you know what? I, I, Yeah, exactly. The sunk cost of it. So now do I want to just sell this thing. I do. How do I plan for that? How do I set myself up for that? And how, now that I've, I've gone this far down the line and I want to sell the business, what do I do? Like, how, how do I change my frame of mind for that? How do I prepare for my next thing that I'm going to do? Plus also sell the business, run the business. Like that, that seems like just, it, it, and it was a, a, a difficult time uh, for myself. Um, fortunately it didn't last that long. It was only like a, you know, three month thing yeah. of, of, of me working through everything, but going into that and, and preparing myself for that was, was very difficult. And yeah. I, I think that's sort of a resilience thing too. It is. And you know, the capacity to make decisions is affected by many things, your, your personal well-being, your state of mind, your sense mm-hmm. of where you are, who you are, and also what, how much you care about what other people think about you. And also critically, where you want to go in the future. So if the thing you're doing now, so for me, I always have criteria in the way and the, and the things that I work at. So I have four quadrants in the way I think of any work. Is it fun? Is it tons of cash? Um, is it intellectually stimulating? Is it getting me to where I want to go? And so I run those, I run those metrics across my business on a regular sort of business, uh, a regular sort of basis and anything else that I do. And I talk to people that I coach about this and people say, it's not fun. It's terrible money. It's not getting me where to want to go. And it's not really intellectual challenging. <laughs> and I say, well, why are you doing it then? And they say, well, because it's what I've always done. I say, okay, fair enough. So let's think about pivoting. And it's it's having that criteria that helps you. So they come up with a better idea and they say, is it this, 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 this? And they say, yes. And then, of course, then you have to challenge the assumption that, you know, that you've got a sort of, 
you know, an excess of enthusiasm because you look at the <laughs> the old thing about the dip with Seth, Seth Golden used to say, when you're on, a, on the up, upward tra trajectory with an idea, it always looks great. But you have to risk test that, stress test that idea. And if you look at it and think, this is the right idea, you either morph into it, merge into it, or stop one and bash straight into it. And then once the decision's made, you have to execute really hard. And what a lot of people do is they half make the decision and they half execute and they mm. end up with a half-baked business. And yeah, yeah. so for me, you make a decision and you go for it. You know, nothing fails with good execution. And you might end up in a different direction than even your plan was in because you might spot an opportunity as you go. But if you aren't constantly mm. up, if you're not constantly challenging your own self in terms of your business and its purpose and where you're going with it and the external marketplace. I'm working, doing a project with a, a firm of architects at the moment. So, you know, they design all sorts of amazing buildings and all sorts of built infrastructure and such like. And I just sat down with them and said, you know, you're struggling to do this, 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 and this. You realize in one year's time, all of this will be gone because of AI. And there was mass panic and running around screaming, yelling, throwing themselves out of windows, you know, throw, hiding under the tables, all that sort of stuff. You know, the, the thing you get, because as a consultant, you can say all these great things. And every, everyone thinks you sound wise because you said a, a couple of letters <laughs> that everybody thinks is really great. Because when no one knows anything, you, you know, in the land of the blind, I think is the old phrase. So I said, well, so sit down, you know, it could all be replaced by AI. Yes. Okay. So why are you not the people creating the AI? And it was, mm. oh, so pivot, pivot now, <laughs> pivot yeah. now. because if you wait six months, you'll be just six months later and you'll still right. have to make the same decision. And a lot of decision, a lot of problems with entrepreneurs, and I think you said it, Greg, it's fear, isn't it? It's they don't take the decision. So they prevaricate, they faff about, and then they end up having to make the same decision, but it's just later. And so mm -hmm. the decisions become more extreme. And actually, you've got to sort of challenge people who are like that. They need coaches because sometimes those coaches are the sounding board that say, why are you waiting? What, and are you actually, should you be in your own business? If you were hiring yourself, would you do that? And I've asked that question a lot of times to people and often say, no, I wouldn't hire myself. It's like, well, for goodness <laughs> sake. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's the honesty you have to have with a coach. And you have to say, well, look, well, given that you have hired yourself, what are you going to do to develop this out of yourself? And you know, I think you have to have this quite ruthless executive coach sort of process in your business. And what I find is you have too many coaches talking about well-being and spirituality and mindfulness and blah, 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 blah. And very few of them actually talk about the, the real mechanics of making a business work. You know, the actual joy of the difficult, dirty process that's part of making a decision. And mm -hmm. That's the joy of it. I mean, how exciting is it to have a, you know, decide, nah, I'm not keen anymore. I fancy doing something else. Wow, that's brilliant. At least you have the self-awareness <laughs> and insight to see that rather than waiting until it becomes a crisis point and then you really hate it. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to someone recently yeah. and this always makes me laugh. And he was doing a project for a, a large um, third-party organization, ran a training company. And I said, hey, let's sit down and talk about your, your business, where you go. And he said, fine. I said, where have you been? He said, I just come back from holiday. I said, oh, where have you been? He said, I've been around the world. Fantastic, around the world. He said, yeah, I've got this project that I work for, for an organization. I hate it. I hate it so much. I <laughs> oh, love no. it. I hate turning up. I hate turning up so much that I've got to go on holiday to actually cope with how horrible this project is. I said, fantastic. Ugh. 
wow, fantastic. So, and I said, well, how was your holiday? It was great. And I said, well, where are you going on another one? He said, I'm going on another one soon. And he said, how can you afford it? He said, well, I've got this contract. I hate it, but I get this fantastic <laughs> holiday. <I> said, <laughs> can you hear yourself? <laughs> and sometimes you know that talking out loud is really useful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you hear that story all the time. It's yeah. like yeah. they're doing something that they hate, but they're making money. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's it's you know, it's giving them a, a great lifestyle that the lifestyle right. they enjoy, but they hate how they're affording the lifestyle. But don't and moan it, about it. In that case, Greg. That's the key, isn't it? You can't sit there and whinge about it as the old um, BMW technique about bitching, moaning, and whinging, isn't it? You can't whinge <laughs> about your own business. <laughs> if you're doing right. something that's great money but it's not intellectually satisfying, but it's getting you somewhere you want to go and it's not that much fun, then that's two out of those four criteria. That's okay. That's enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of like, where do you prioritize? Which one of those four quadrants do you prioritize the most? And and a lot of times it's the lifestyle. So yeah, I'll do something that I hate because it is affording yeah. me and my family yeah. a, a way of life. How, how many times, how many times has it happened to you? This has happened to me a number of times where a client ring up and they'll offer me a piece of work. And I'll say, I don't want to do it. It's not intellectually satisfying. It's not fun. And it's not getting me where to go. So I'll say, I know what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll triple the price. And then I'll still come sure. back and go, yes. <laughs> and you just think to yourself, well, why didn't I quadruple? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, at least you're doing that piece of work. And then, of course, what happens is right. when you go into doing that piece of work, you, you give yourself a talking to, you manage your own mindset and you say look i'm going to i'm going to mine this piece of work for insight i'm going to do it differently i'm going to experiment i'm going to produce a better result i'm going to produce a different result i'm going to purposely set myself a learning objective at the end of this so i'll have got something back from this and you know you've you've got to manage yourself because we think sometimes people i think when they talk about being an entrepreneur they talk about this freedom thing well we've if we don't have a boss, that's a that's an absolutely appalling idea to have in our own mind that we're free. Because the last thing we are is free. We just have different sorts of choices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always, and I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but it's it was always funny to me that people would call me, like, "Oh, hey, you want to go out for lunch today, or you want to go do this today?" Like, well, I'm working. Yeah, but you have your own business. You can work whenever you want. No, <laughs> I work when the when the work is here. I'm working. You know, when when the you know like my clients are the boss. Like that's when I have to work. When when the phone's ringing, I'm answering it. Um. So yeah, it's it's like it's this weird thing of of you think you're going to get freedom, and that's like what people generally think you're going to get, but it's sometimes not. Like, well, there is always, that, that, that work-life balance thing that you still got to deal with. You've always got control, haven't you? And this is, this, is, this is the difference. You always have the capacity to make a choice, which is utterly your own. So, for example, um, I'm going to spend some time with my wife tomorrow. We're going to go out and do some stuff that we've been meaning to do for a while. We're going to do nothing. None of it's very exciting, but it's Monday. It's a work day, and we're doing it. I'm working today. So, you are. I'm working Sunday. I've worked right. this morning. And, you know, there you go. That's, that's the difference we have. If we want to take some time off, we can. We don't get paid. But hey, there you go. And of course, got employees yeah. and they're out working for us. Then we're getting the margin on that, the margin on that. Or we're getting the product sales coming from our processes. But ultimately, we do have that capacity to say, I'm going to make choices. I mean, I think um, work-life balance is one of the greatest ironies of all time. It's just, just yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, totally. It's and, and it's one of those, 
Yeah. And, and, and for me, like I recognized that that was a big issue for me, right? Like I was, well, I could either sit on the couch and, and watch TV, you know, zone out and watch the, the, the giants game or, you know, whatever uh, for the next three hours, or I could sit there with my laptop and at least get some work done, yeah, or I could go into the office and get work done and there'll be another giants game on tomorrow. Like yeah. those were the decisions that I was facing. And I felt like I was, I was digging a little too, you know, deep into the, I need to work. I need to work. I need to work because I'm afraid of the the next slow time or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of business owners out there that are, I'm not the only one, you know, in that uh, kind of workaholic sort of feel. Yeah. How do you talk to those people to, to get well, them to actually get it's, more it's of really, a balance? It's really funny because actually we all know that intellectually, psychologically, and um, practically, we can't multitask. And I think there's this big myth about multitasking in this. And there's tons of evidence to prove, you know, this is there's is a form of episodic memory where you can do certain things and do a second thing. But on the whole, you can't do anything that involves some sort some degree of rational or cognitive load. You can't do two things well. So um, if you're listening to the, the ball game and you're, and, you're, and you're working at the same time, your work will be compromised. So for me, it's always been about saying, I'm going to watch the, we don't have ball games. We just have football, you know, proper football, you know, not that soccer thing that you talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, can have a, we can have a fight now, couldn't we? <laughs> a long way away. You can't hit me this far away. But you know, the theory goes that when, when, we're, when we're actually focusing on one thing at a time, that's the way we optimize our time. So if you're going to mm -hmm. watch the football, enjoy it. Do it, watch it, really thoroughly be in the moment and enjoy it, share yeah. the screen with the television or, or however you consume your, your sports. And then when you go to work, work. And that too many people are attempting to do many things badly. And I mean, there's tons of research that shows, you know, the when you work in the day has more of an effect than what you do. So actually, you know, doing heavy load, heavy, heavy cognitive processes first thing in the morning and more creative stuff late at night and admin and bowling tasks in the mid-afternoon. And yeah, actually, if you think about the business day, it's completely wired the other way around. So you use right. optimize, optimized brain to do opening yeah. emails and, and, you know, fixing meetings and such like. And we're trying to write big reports in the afternoon when we should be doing admin and meetings and such like. And then we're trying to use our creative time to write, you know, boring reports in the evening. And of course, when you mm -hmm. rethink the day, and of course, this is as entrepreneurs, we've got the choice to do this tomorrow. I'll be doing it all the wrong way around, but that's my choice. I'll work that out accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating what you're saying about that, because as the world is becoming more of a distributed workforce, so many people are working from home. There's a lot of distractions, but there is that you know, that diligence that's necessary to block time to do certain things. And as you're mentioning right now, that there are, you know, statistics that say, you know, people are more productive doing certain tasks at certain times. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand that. And they're just trying to piece together the day while their kids are talking to them or the ball game's on or they have to cook dinner. You know, all these things are distracting as you're working from home nowadays. But, you know, you really need to, you know, set a, a schedule in a sense to be as productive as possible. Or not, if that's your style. Yeah. And, um, and, I think, and I think the problem is what we have in our world, maybe yours, is we have very poor leadership management and organizations, which is why people who are working from home are, are commanded to come into the office. 
even though it's less productive, even even though when we're working from home, sometimes all we're doing is is, is patterning the, the work environment by just doing meeting after meeting after meeting, all of which are unproductive, all of which are leading to burnout. And at the end of the day, we're doing our jobs. So we, we have to think innovatively about working from home and think about its purpose and how it genuinely works. And this is where organizations who have a really pivoted performance, I mean, max, max you know, real 10x, 20x performance by actually thinking about how we manage and lead people differently in a distributed mm. way. But most the, the heinous leadership management crimes I say on a regular basis just are, I mean, it's pathetic. It really is. It drives me nuts. I mean, I've been doing work in this world for such a long time. This is why I've got no hair, Russ. I'm only 27 <laughs> and I've got no hair. <laughs> but, but even even less... I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. It's because we keep ripping it out. Exactly. exactly. I must not be worrying because I kind of had a hair. Is that yeah. Right. Greg, What's I'm your always, secret, Greg? I'm going to stand next to him. <laughs> I think oh, um, I think you know the, the message for this is if you're running a business, you've got so many choices. You know, value the choice. It's not freedom. It's just choice. It's control, and it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you do it? But there's lots of people who shouldn't and can't, and lots of people who mustn't either. And you know, sometimes you have to have someone on your team who can tell you the truth, and that's why executive coaching and proper coaching is, mm -hmm. has really taken off. But then there are a lot of coaches out there who are very interested in you paying their bail and just continuing because they don't tell themselves and you the truth either. So you've got to have a sort of degree of challenge in the world. And if you can't cope with that robust um, third party view, then actually, how do you cope with anything else in life? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is fresh on my mind because our uh, we, we just did another uh, podcast interview where this this came up, and I I want to get your take on it of uh, the the business owners that don't listen to that advice, that are just kind of in their own head and want to do their own thing, even though you're directing them in a way that's going to 10x their business or just make you know their lifestyle better, you know whatever it is, they just don't want to listen to that advice. Instead, they're you know. Uh, I don't know, focused on their website or <laughs> you know, some, like they're focused on something else and they're, they're, they're not taking the advice. What do you say to those business owners? I say it's their choice because they're adults and you take your choice, you accept the consequences and you're accountable for your choices because that's what an adult being an adult is simple as that. <laughs> it's not my, it's not my job to run their businesses unless they hire me to come in as a CEO, but that's it. I mean, we, we have forgotten, we've forgotten, that actually we're adults and we treat people as if we're children and we're terrified to give them feedback in case we hurt people's feelings instead of saying actually we do need this degree of honesty not not you know, there's a there's a phrase we use in england quite a lot which is conflict is inevitable but fighting is optional and um <laughs> you know, i like that we want conflict we want dis professional disagreement we don't want name calling yeah. and being personal but we want we want to have robust intellectual arguments where we can talk about different directions but ultimately if you're running your own business and someone gives you a piece of someone comes to me and gives me a piece of advice and i say i don't believe you i'm not going to do it that way i've listened to what you've got to say I don't agree with you i'm going to do it my way hey i'm accountable and i take the consequences for that decision simple really simple right. And you know, if I get it right, I can go. I can go. Ta-da! I was right. And if I get it wrong, I can go. Ta-da! I was wrong, and I take the accountability and learning from yeah. that. And, and that you, you nailed it right there. I I think there was a certain point in my life where I realized, like, 
I'm going to fail a, a bunch and that's okay. Good. You know, I mean, when I fail, I've tried something, I've done something, at least I've done something. Actually, I want to ask you a question, Russ, because, yeah. you know, what, what did I screw up? <laughs> no. Hey, I know. I yeah, don't answer know. that. So. <laughs> just kidding. How many? I'm just yeah. giving them hard time. You got a book. No. This is my, my question is just like okay, you know, you're you're an adult, you're you're accountable. You said, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I have my ideas. I'm gonna go down this path. It, it's the right path for my company. But you have employees, and when does the responsibility of gosh, I could be going down the wrong path, and how is it gonna affect my my you know my employees, the rest of the, these lives? How does that weigh on you, and how did you deal with that? Uh, pretty heavy. Yeah, you know, well, like the the way because uh, I felt like, you know, I'm impacting other people's lives, right? Like um, my decisions are going to impact other people's lives. However, yeah. I generally went with it. You know, yeah. I would go with if I felt like it was the right thing to do. And you know, I'm a big spreadsheet research guy, so I generally, if I'm going to go do something, I feel like it's it's pretty right. Um, there there were definitely wrong decisions that I've made. Did you ever get their it, feedback before you made a final decision? Well, it would depend on on you know what it was on on what I was doing. Like, um, but yes, yes, I would. I would I would try to pull people in and and see what do you guys think? Is this is this the the especially if it was going to impact them? Um, I did uh, I did do one thing uh, uh, for the you know it, it, event entertainment company. We added a particular type of event that we were doing and nobody was on board. Um, and it actually uh, became a very successful thing for us. Like it, it really worked. None of the team wanted to do it. So I had to get different people in to actually do it, yeah. but it worked. And, well, and, you know, you know the, it was profitable. Swallowing Thor's swords was, you know, it was a little dangerous for people that were untrained. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> right. Right. Um, but no, but it, think, you know, it's, but, but, it, yeah, you got to pull different people in if, if, if you think but, that, that, that but, there's, but there's a problem here, isn't there? Because what you're talking about is different from feedback. You're, you're talking about consulting with people. And, mm -hmm. and of course, when you're consulting about a business issue, you should consult with someone that has a business expertise and employees don't have a business or entrepreneurial expertise because mm -hmm. by their very nature, they're employees. They're not in that mindset game. So what you're doing is you're consulting and saying, actually, are you okay with this if I do it? And of course, you know, I've done this before. Like you, like you, Russ, I work with an organization and, and I dragged a bunch of people and said, hey, I want to close the division down. And they said, what's going to happen to us? And they said, we're well, going to lose your jobs and say, hey, that's a terrible line. Let's not do that. I said, oh, well, that's okay. Let's not do it then. And, oh, dear, we've all gone bust. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it, this, it's the problem here between understanding who you consult with. And the trouble is, it's a lonely job at the top. And that's why yeah. you need external sources of help, because actually what well, I think we do, we, we over consult with people who have a vested interest in not and it's not changing sometimes. What about, though, like so in bringing in your 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 business, right, like like bringing in new people into your business, you bring in a marketing person sure. and that marketing person knows marketing better than sure. you because you've, so. you've hired somebody that, you know, understands <laughs> that particular niche. Yeah. But then you make the marketing decision. 
and override them. Don't get their feedback because you're maybe you're afraid of the vested interest. Like when you're hiring people into your company that are specialty in those areas, like let's instead of marketing, let's use finance, right? Like yeah. finance, you, you really do have to understand that, or you're going to have some tax implications at the end of the year. You're going to sure. have some problems. Yeah. So in that you sort of do have to lean in on your on your team because they're specialists in that area. But when do you listen to them and when do you think that maybe there's a bias there towards what what they want? But it's like, but you see, they're still employees. So they're, they're making decisions based on their position in the com- company, often with incomplete information. It's your external advisors, your non-executive directors, your external coaches that give you unsullied, pure advice and recommendations of course you would sit down with your financial advisor and say hey i fancy you doing this that and the other you know the financial director of your team but then you can't say well hey i want to siphon off thirty thousand dollars into a hedge fund over here you don't say that to them because that's right. the right decision for you but it is the right decision you can talk about with your external tax advisor so you mm-hmm. you you choose what you're consulting on yeah you've got someone who's an expert in marketing you say these are objectives you tell me the plan this is the plan well, why would a business owner be that arrogant to think they were technically more adept than the marketing person? They're not meant to be, but you should be more technically adept at being a business person. And this is the problem, I think. You often find people who are at the tops of organizations who want business people because they have what we call the, the cult of the shareholder being in charge. You know, and I'm working with a couple of people at the moment, the shareholders of a really large business, and they really shouldn't be running the business because they have no skills to run the business. So my immediate thing has been bring in professional people because you're good at being a shareholder, but you're awful at running a business. And here's the proof. Let's look at your finances. It's about separating the cult status. And then this is for mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. It's this myth that shareholders yeah. should always be running the business. It's madness. I mean, the very first rule in, uh, when you hire a VC is usually to get rid of it. You know, I think the phrase was shoot the entrepreneur. Um, because the, the, the founder, because the person normally who's holding it back, and that's why they're getting funding in the first yeah. place, because they're not being able to drive the, the message forward. You know, How did they take that message from you? I'm just curious. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they hire people like me because they want to hear an unvarnished story. They want to hear the truth. And, you know, they hire other people who won't tell them the truth. So they're just choices, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. You know, because actually I have no vested interest in blowing smoke or telling someone lies to protect my own position as a coach. I tell them the truth. Because actually, when I work as a coach, I always say you only have a certain number of sessions and that's it. So you can't get addicted to people. It's a bit like a therapist when he talks one of the organizations that runs. <laughs> it's a counseling organization. And I've been talking to someone and saying, you know, how many, t- so tell me about the counseling sessions. Someone said, oh, someone's been having counseling for four years, two sessions a week. And I'm saying, well, that's ethically, morally, morally, practically, and all sorts of just not right. Yeah. And someone has to say that because actually yeah. we all get addicted to people, we get addicted to managers. We get to, we call it the fur right, fur lined rut in our world where you have this cozy relationship with your people. We forget the potential, we forget their careers. And we forget our careers as entrepreneurs. And then suddenly we'll look up one day and then there's this piece of AI doing that all work for us around the corner. And we suddenly got no cash left because we were right. enjoying we were we'd we were enjoying the fruits of being a business person and swanning around and having a lovely time playing 
ping pong or whatever it is people play these days in the offices. Pickle, pickleball. 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 They, 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 they somehow do that in the office. That again. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this. I've got this image literally of um, two people with bats and a pickle. That's all I'm thinking. Like a real pickle. I'm thinking, how does that pickle stay? Keep it shake. <laughs> Yeah, right. Right before uh, we started recording here, uh, we were chatting about Greg's uh, pickleball podcast, the Third Shot podcast that, that I get to be on too. So you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's I'm like a third of the you know like yeah not not, not all the way in there, but you, you get two. You're you you're all the way shots. in, Greg. Yeah, you get two of the three shots. You know, with us. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Luckily, the but third I'm, shot I'm, is our best shot. I'm always ready. I'm always ready to, go. to jump in Let's and play. <laughs> Do you do paddleboarding as well? Just out of interest, because I just wonder if you've got all the new trendy sports going on in your. Uh, that's true. I guess I, I guess we should. Well, we yeah. should start a podcast for that, Greg. Let's get yeah. that going. All right. Any any sport with a board. <laughs> I like it. Let's make it happen. All right. Tomorrow. All right. So, uh, Russell. Okay, we'll do it. I'm down. Uh, we'll set that up. Uh, Russell, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, I want if if people wanted to. Uh, pull you and get advice from you or learn, learn more from you. You've got a podcast and, and also they can reach out to you for, uh, for some help. How, how do they do so? A couple of ways. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Russell Thackeray. Secondly, my organization is called QED. So the website is QEDOD.com. And there's a bunch of extras and free downloads and all sorts of bits and pieces. QEDOD.com forward slash extras. And, um, yep. and I have some books as well, so you can go and have a look at those and see what you think. They're written with, a, I would say, a degree of candor and straightforwardness, which I pride myself on. And most people that work in the three say it's quite interesting to have someone that tells you the truth from time to time. So that's mm-hmm. nice. I like that. Yeah, and, and I love I love the title of your um, of your Instagram, or I'm sorry, your um Gosh, what are, I'm drawing a blank here. Podcast. Uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us everybody. Tell everybody the name of the podcast and uh, well, know, what you I, I got a bit carried away with this because the podcast was called Resilience Unraveled, and because I'm from Britain, of course, we spell unravel correctly with two L's, and just just saying. And uh, <laughs> but I've also written a book called Resilience Unraveled, and I've written a management book called. You're going to be surprised when I say it's called Management Unraveled. And uh, we've written a relationship book. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you what you think that relationship book's called. <laughs> Relationships, Relationships Okay. And a new okay. leadership book and a new leadership book and that leadership book is called Leadership Unravels. Leadership Unravels. Fluidic no? leadership. So I've I've I've, oh. I've broken, broken the brand. You've broken, broken it. Okay. Brand. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Well. Um, Thank you so much for joining us and uh, unraveling uh, the, the right. topic here with us. It's there you go. You, you did it. <laughs> I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thank, thank you for you. having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been an honor. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business uh, on whatever platform you're listening on right now. Also, over on YouTube, as I mentioned last episode, all of our old episodes, the whole library is over there on YouTube now. It's 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 actually being uploaded as we speak that's how uh, that's how things are rolling here um all of the information provided on this podcast is based on opinion and you might want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation greg and i want your company to succeed and we are happy to take your questions we would also love to hear your suggestions for future episode if there's something uh, you know that's like really troubling your business you need some help 
advice, whatever, tell us. We might be able to make a whole show around it. Um, reach out to us at diyforbusinesspodcast.com. Uh, we also love talking to business owners. So if you're a business owner and you want to join us, talk about your business, talk about your experiences, we'd love to do that as well. And you can reach out to, on the uh, website. Uh, we thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Thank you.